Friends, how is everybody this morning? Uh, we are uh, in the book of Matthew. We're in the fifth chapter. We're looking at uh, lessons from the life of Christ, pausing a little bit here in into some of his teaching and uh, considering what he had to say. Uh, and uh, he hit some things in a rather hard fashion. Uh, in, in what he has to say, there there were many things that people said around him, uh, and he had this one little statement. But I tell you, you've heard that it said, but I tell you. So what are these? But I tell you uh, statements that he made, and, and I my intent isn't to dig deeply into uh, what each of these statements are. My intent is for us to consider. He's saying, look, there there's a di- different way to live. I'm calling you to a different standard. I'm calling you to a, 
to a different understanding. I'm calling you to uh, something a little bit more than uh, than what the world around you might be calling you to. And uh, those are the things I want you to consider. Making one little adjustment here, friends, and there we go. Um, so, Matthew chapter 5, I'm down at verse 27. I, I, again, my intent isn't to just uh, chew apart each of these. My intent is to, to give the broad overview of his, but I tell you. First thing he deals with is, is the issue of lust. Then he deals with the issue of divorce. Then he deals with the issue of oaths and, and how we make oaths. And then he deals with retaliation. He deals with love for enemies. Then he'll go into chapter 6 and get into... Uh, the variety of different religious practices that, that people will uh, will involve themselves in, will engage themselves in. And um, he says, but I tell you, so he, he has, he has a different standard than, than perhaps what the world uh, around us may have. So, uh, Let's take a look at what he has to say here uh, about these things and dig in. Down at uh, chapter 5, yeah, I need to get this on the screen, sorry. I'm a little bit, uh, here we go, lust. Yesterday we dealt with right relationships, today lust. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, and here's the statement, but I tell you. And as we go down through here, you will find many but I tell you statements. He says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the fact is, I mean, this this can have an application uh, in some other ways that uh, we might not normally consider uh, Although I, I think it's it's appropriate to, to think and to understand in our day, uh, anyone who looks at another man uh, lustfully. If you're a man, you look at a man lustfully. Uh, if, uh, if you uh, are a woman and look at another woman lustfully, uh, and think, hmm, you know, and I, I don't want to unfold. I mean, I think we get the idea of, of what lust means, but we live in such a time that, that it isn't just a, a man and a woman thing toward each other uh, or women toward men or men toward women, but we live in a day, unfortunately, where you have women toward women and men toward men, uh, and uh, if, if you're looking at this other person lustfully and thinking, I want them sexually, uh, Jesus says this, you've already committed the adultery, you've already done the act. He goes right to the mind. He doesn't He doesn't just stop at the act. So, I mean, we, we have uh, in, in our day one of those sayings, uh, it's okay to look, just don't touch. You'll hear people say that. and But the reality is Jesus goes, uh-uh, not true. Uh, he says if you are thinking about that other person uh, in, a, in some lustful way, some sexual way, uh, you're already doing the deed. 
he says it starts in the mind. He he does. It's not just the outward activity. It's within the mind, and, and so the confrontation comes. But I tell you, and it's always doing. Basically, in all that he's saying here, is saying you're not off the hook. Uh, you might think, well, I've never done that. Have you thought about it? Well, guess what? Jesus says, if you thought about it, even that makes you guilty of uh, of right of breaking righteousness. That that makes you guilty of failing God's standard. Uh, so the I tell you, and it goes on in verse twenty nine. It says, uh, if your right eye cause you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right to hand cause you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now he is not literally saying gouge out your eye. He is not literally saying. Um, cut off your hand what he is really saying that this this is uh, metaphorical for deal with sin abruptly deal with it with great severity now in a verse like this or in a passage like this is where we get some of the notion some of the thought that uh, it is it is our sins alone uh that that uh, fit us for hell or keep us from heaven because he, he twice in verse 29 and verse 30 says uh, better that one part of your body be uh, lost than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Uh, we deal with sin. How do we deal with sin? Uh, let me just clarify. We deal with sin not only by, because some people say, well, I've dealt with sin seriously and I, I've, I'm eradicating it from my life and I'm living a perfect life and living a moral life. And and they think that their, their, their approach and application to sound morality will fit them for, for heaven. Now, the only thing that fits us for heaven, friends, is faith in Jesus Christ. However, that faith, once applied to our lives, should propel us, should direct us uh, toward living a life of holiness and godliness. We should be pursuing that type of a life of holiness and of godliness. Verses 27 through 30, I mean, this is a, a good passage that just tells us we should deal with sin severely. Uh, we shouldn't just let it be there in our lives. This is a good passage as well that that uh, uh, indicates how serious this is to God. Sin, uh, sin is what keeps us from heaven, and the only way to deal with sin, the the, the lack of. Uh, righteousness, the lack of perfection keeps us from heaven. The only way to deal with that with that sin, with that lack of righteousness, with that lack of perfection, uh, is not by making ourselves better, but it's by acknowledging our need of a Savior who paid the, the penalty, the sin penalty on our behalf so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be restored in relationship with God. The Jewish leaders in the day would say, well, we didn't do so-and-so, and yet they walked right on the edge of it all the time. It took place in their minds, and they tried to minimize it. Let's go to the next one. Uh, he deals with divorce. It's been said anyone divorces his wife uh, must give her a certificate of divorce. 
Verse 32 says, But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I mean, again, my intent this morning is not to completely dissect these and, and give full explanations. What he is getting at is we want to treat uh, marriage willy-nilly. Now, there are some of you who are among us who have been... Um, who've been divorced. Uh, and, and sometimes what happens is you, you might feel like, well, I'm second rate, I'm second class, or others maybe are trying to make you feel second rate or second class. Don't go there. But here's what I want to say. We need to treat marriage seriously. Uh, we, we live in such a throwaway culture, such a throwaway society, uh, you know, if, if, if you're not married, you consider seriously who you're going to marry before you marry them so that you don't end up divorced. Um, there are clauses. I mean, this is one of these places where, where we could probably spend several days just talking on, on the issue of lust or on the issue of divorce. Um, and what does the Bible have to say about it? And I, I think it's entirely possible to, to make people who are who've been divorced in the way we approach them, uh, make them feel uh, absolutely miserable about themselves, and I don't think that's what God wants. Um, but I think the other thing is to, to not treat marriage seriously enough uh, and to consider. This is one of these areas to wrestle with. What they did is is they would simply say this. Well, I, I div- again, Jewish practice, it, I gave her a certificate of divorce. It's good. doesn't matter. It's just, it, it, it's no fault. It's, it's a certificate of divorce. But then Jesus gives some reasons for divorce. In their day, it would be, you know, I really don't like that color hair. I think I'm going to divorce you. Uh, you know, I, I really don't like the way you look in that dress. I think I'm going to divorce you. Uh, I really don't like the way you cook. I think I'm going to divorce you. I mean, just the idea of a, such an easy process of divorce, and later on Jesus will deal with divorce and, and talk about how, how God regards marriage between a man and a woman as such a um, honored institution uh, that, that we shouldn't just willy-nilly divorce. In their day, there was willy-nilly divorce. You know what willy-nilly is, just, just kind of flippant uh, just to divorce. And in their day, it was the husband that could divorce the wife and maybe not the other way around. So if the wife was unfaithful, the husband could divorce her. But if the husband was unfaithful, the the wife might not be able to divorce the husband. And just because someone is unfaithful doesn't mean you should divorce them either. You work it through. You, uh, you try to work things out uh, just because someone maybe doesn't meet you emotionally where where they need to meet you doesn't mean you just throw it away and divorce them. Uh, you try to work it through. Now, I will also tell you, I, I've been a pastor long enough to let you know that there are times when it just you just can't. You just can't work it out. You just can't seem to come to one person's willing, the other person's not willing. Uh, and, and that happens, and and some people choose to stay in a marriage, uh, even though they're they're not happy in the marriage because they're choosing to try to honor God in what they're doing, in choosing to trust God, and choosing to um, 
to let God be at work in their spouse's life over many, 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 many years. I think there are times when that is highly noble, uh, and there are times when, when that isn't wise, especially in, in situations where there is uh, varieties of abuse. Now, I also want to say, I believe in our day, through modern psychology, we have over-labeled and overstated some things. You abuse me. You, you mentally abuse me because you looked at me cross-eyed one time. I, and now, I know that might sound like an over-exaggeration, but we've almost come to that point. You know, uh, children, they abuse me. It's like a child that says, they're yell- I got yelled at at school today by my teacher. And the parent begins to become irate. And then, then you understand what they mean by yelled at. I was told no. In a gentle voice, I was told no. And yet we live in such a childish culture where, um, where that's almost the level that we live. And I see that in modern psychology at times, the over-labeling. And I'm not saying all psychology, but but there, there are certainly uh, some of the over-labeling. I see it in the court system. Uh, I see it in, in modern counseling uh, where, where we have, sometimes people just need to grow up. I mean, that that's just the fact and, and be able to, to face some things and, um, we have just so overstated things. He deals with, adust- uh, with with adultery and lust. He says in verse twenty eight, "I tell you one, but I tell you." And it looks at a woman lustfully, or a man, or you know somebody else other than their spouse has already committed adultery in their heart. Divorce. Don't don't be willy nilly with marriage. Oaths is another one down at verse thirty three. He says this again. I you heard that it was said to people long ago: Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. In other words, be a person of your word is what he is saying. Again, in their day, what they would do is is they would make an oath and swear by heaven, or they would swear by earth, or they would swear by Jerusalem. I I, I swear by Jerusalem that I swear by heaven that I will. And he's saying, don't do that. Uh, A, you're implicating God in something that you might not follow through on. Don't do that. And then secondly, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just just be a person of your word. You're better off to not make the commitment uh, than to make the commitment and not follow through on it. I mean, that, that's just a, a better practice. And then he goes to retaliation. And this is another area where, where we, we struggle that this next two... Uh, Sections here, retaliation, you see the headings, retaliation and love your enemies. Uh, You've heard that was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You've heard the phrase, uh, turning the other cheek. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
he's saying, okay, in their day, keep the even score. And Jesus is saying, don't keep the even score. Go beyond the measure. Go beyond what is asked. Uh, if they if they strike you on one cheek, give them the opportunity to strike the other. This is a different teaching that Jesus gives. Um, we would rather retaliate. We would rather take someone to court. We would rather, and Jesus is saying, absorb it. Go the extra distance. And you say, but you don't know. Oh, wait a minute. I believe Jesus does know. This is where he talks about, you know, being struck upon the cheek. Uh, this is where he talks about uh, a person wanting to take some from you. You give me more. Someone force you to go one mile, go two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I mean, if someone wants to borrow and you have the ability to lend, you got to lend it. That, that's what he's saying. In their day, what they would say is, well, no, I, I'm not going to just borrow or, or lend to, to people, just just not going to do it. And I, and I think that's reasonable to do. But what they would do is they would try to set themselves up as religiously superior in, in what they would do or, or in the way that they would lend to somebody. They would lend and say, yeah, you, you need 500 bucks? Sure. Uh, uh, I'll lend you the 500 bucks, but when you pay me back, you need to pay me back six. They lent with, with usury. They, they lent with that type of interest. And, and it was exorbitant in the amount. Uh, it really was. And he's just trying to drive in. Don't do that. Love for enemies. This is the next segment that we read here. It says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, and again, these words of Jesus, you would circle these phrases and, and think of every one of them and what he had to say. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Now, verse 48 is kind of a summation statement. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're called it to live into this, this type of perfection. Uh, and we fail. And that's the thing we need to be able to say is, I fail. I, I, I don't live the type of life that I think God wants me to live. Uh, and I need him. But, but yet he is also giving us the standard here. They said in their day, uh, love your enemy, hate your, uh, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And we would say the same thing. Often in our day, I, I see this. You need to get back. You need to get even. You need to. That is contrary to the standard of God. The standard of God is to love and pray for those who are your enemies, for those who persecute you. What we do is we want to sit back and rub our hands together and, and say, can I figure out a way to to uh, to get back at this person? Hmm. No. We need to love. We need to pray for. It says even the tax collectors uh, love those who love them. 
uh, if if we just simply love those who are our family and those that we get along with, but it's when you learn to love the unlovable. It's it's kind of like going into a situation where um, I'm trying to be careful how I say this. Sometimes we 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 think that we're better than. Sometimes we, we carry ourselves with, with an air of self-righteousness. Um, you go into into certain settings, and, and maybe you're a non-smoker. I'm a non-smoker. Uh, and, you know, you go into to some places, and people stand around uh, outside at the front door, um, token up their cigarettes, and, you know, some people will just go, I, that's a dirty, filthy place. I'm not going there. Or you say, "Well, that's what they do here, and I, I still want to. I still need to go into that store to get X, Y, or Z." And, and you don't look down on those folks. You 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 bring love to those folks. Yeah, I know people who would uh, Christians who would look at <coughs> excuse me somebody who who smokes, uh, and I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't, but I know Christians who would go. They're just an evil person. I don't want to be around them. Well, wait a minute. Maybe you're evil because you have such a uh, overinflated regard of self. How do we treat people that that are uh, maybe not at our standard, or the standard that we think people ought to be at, or or who are actually our enemies? How do we treat them? Do we pray for them? Do do we seek their best? Do we, what do we do good to them? Those are some of the questions that, that I would put out for you and would have for you. Uh, Jesus has these statements, but I tell you. And he continues them right down into uh, chapter 6 where he says this. Be careful you do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by them. I tell you the truth, they'll receive their reward in full. If you want the praise of men and, and, and you get the praise of men, you've gotten your reward. It says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I mean, sometimes we, we have this uh, uh, tendency that we, we, want to, we want people to see what we have done. We want people to... Um, uh, to to kind of boast about us or to be impressed by us or or those types of things. When really what we should only be desiring is the praise of God or the reward of God or the attaboy of God. That's what we'd be looking for. So don't don't go and give and announce it that I'm giving to help so-and-so because you're trying to get some type of a reward out of it. You're giving to so-and-so and letting God give you reward. And he goes on talks about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in the very next verse, he says, uh, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, friends, just so you know, I know that word is hypocrites. But when you look at it, it looks like hypocrites. It is hypo. Um, but 
hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. And he goes on and gives what we would call the model prayer. Sometimes we call it the Lord's Prayer. The the heading here calls it the Lord's Prayer, but it's the model prayer. And you can take that prayer and look at the elements of that prayer. Again, that in and of itself, could we could uh, dissect and... Uh, exegete that that prayer that, that is not my intent today oops there uh, then fasting he deals with fasting when you fast he says do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting I tell you the truth they have received their reward in full when you fast put oil on your head in other words clean yourself up take a shower put on the odorant brush your teeth comb your hair put your makeup on wear your nice clothes don't go around with the, I'm so hungry, I'm fasting. No, don't even let on. Don't tell anybody. Now, when it says don't tell anybody, I mean, sometimes we, we invite others. We, we spiritually stimulate another person to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. Would you like to fast with me? Would, have you ever practiced fasting? I mean, it, 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 there's fasting that is inspirational fasting that's instructive. But when we go around trying to impress people in our spirituality because of our fast, that is when we get ourselves into trouble. And then he goes on and talks about laying up treasures in heaven. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now that, that is some rather uh, uh, deep teaching that you, you need to give consideration to just what is being said there. Verse 19 and verse 24 kind of become like the... the uh, the slices of bread in this sandwich, uh, they become the bookends uh, on this shelf. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then he comes back down in verse 24 and says, uh, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some translations say mammon. Mammon is an, another word for money. Uh, and the real question coming out here is, is what is our treasure? Uh, verse 21 said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he's, he's challenging it. The religious leaders uh, of the day were very much into the money. 
They were into how they looked. They were into how they sounded. Uh, they were into making public announcements about their giving and they're helping the poor and so on. Uh, they were into how they looked in terms of are they considered wealthy. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Not a thing wrong with being wealthy, uh, except for when we begin to boast in our wealth and, and tell people, look at me and, you know, go around with fancy jewelry and you're, 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 you're flashing all of that jewelry uh, or, you know, boasting about yourself. Some of you, you know, drive, and I just want to go back and talk about, some of you drive really nice cars, but you don't boast about it. You're not going, hey, look at me. You, you should be driving those cars. Your, your line of work demands that you should drive a car like that, or you worked hard all those years, and, you know, um, but there are some people who are driving that car saying, look at me. Just look at me. You know, I, I want you to note me. I want you to know how successful I am. I want you to know how, you know, and, and I'm a Christian. Um, again, nothing wrong with wealth. Nothing wrong with making money. Nothing, nothing wrong with making lots of money. Uh, but when we, it, it, there are people what I know who've made gobs and gobs and gobs of money, and you would never know that they're millionaires uh, simply by the way they dress. You look at them, you go, Boy, look at that bum, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe they've duct taped their shoe together or something like that. And you're thinking, what kind of a person is that? Well, they're a person that's been frugal and has done well. And, you know, maybe, maybe I remember going to meet somebody one time. Uh, my uncle took me along on a ride with him and we went to this guy's house, very modest home, uh, very modest car. And, you know, uh, but as we left, my uncle told me, you know, the particular business that this man owned and, and you know, uh, but he didn't flaunt it. Um, and this is the thing Jesus is, is getting after them about is the way they were flaunting their religiosity and the way that they were flaunting their their sense of success and all these types of things. And, and Jesus is saying, don't go there. Don't do that. He will conclude this chapter dealing with anxiety and worry because then the other end of the spectrum is i mean there are those who who maybe flaunt all the money and flaunt all the you know all the success and flaunt their giving and flaunt their fasting and flaunt their spirituality and flaunt it, it, it's, there's just that air about it. i hope you're understanding what i'm saying uh, and none of you friends that that, that listen uh that, that i know of are are Anyway, like this, uh, so, some of you are, have done very, very well for yourselves, uh, incredibly well, and, and and God has given you that gift, and we thank God for that. Uh, others among us struggle uh, along, uh, and I don't see on either end. I mean, I can see other people, poor me, poor, you know, think of Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Life's so bad. Yep. Every day is a dark day, even if the sun's out. Yep, the food is always bland. You know, just kind of that Eeyore downer type of, and none of you go around that way. And some of you have some rather challenging, rather uh, um, difficult situations in which you find yourselves, but, but you're not flaunting that either. Uh, and those are the things that we have to be careful of. Uh, in, in some certain measures. He deals with anxiety in the last part of this passage in chapter 6. 
He says, uh, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, uh, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So now he's saying, don't worry. Um, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God, or his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What do we do? You, you can jump right into verse 33 here. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God. You see it here. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Stop worrying. Start trusting. Start looking to God. Start believing in God's uh, ability to meet your needs, to meet you where you are. Many statements here given by Jesus to religious types of folks simply telling them, this is what the world says, this is what the religious system says, but I tell you, are we, will we choose to, to walk like Jesus and live out these things in our own lives? I pray that we will, I pray that we do, that we will grow uh, and be all that God wants us to to be by living at the standard that Christ gives, starting on the inside of self and not just on the outside. So Lord, help us today. Help us to, to walk with you. Help us to live to your standard. Uh, help us to treat people who maybe it's a little bit harder for us to treat in a certain way, uh, in a loving, compassionate way, to treat them with love and compassion and dignity and honor, uh, even our enemies, Lord. Uh, help us to deal with lust. Help us to deal with the throwaway society. Help us to deal with not doing our religious acts to be seen by men. Lord, help us to live for you today in a way that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. And as is concluded every day, Lord, hear our prayer. That's a wrap for today, friends. Have a good day. We will see you again tomorrow.